Welcome to the Ag Future Podcast, presented by Alltech. Join us as we explore the future of farming, food, and nutrition. Crystal Mackay is president of the Canadian Centre for Food Integrity, and she joins us to talk about what's driving consumer demand for transparency in the food chain and how that demand is being addressed, as well as the risks and rewards of high-tech agriculture. Thank you for being with us, Crystal. Thank you. And if you could first talk to us about social license, what is that? How is it defined? Sure. Social license is defined as the freedom to operate without restrictions or minimal restrictions. And it's a term the oil industry coined back in the 90s, um, which is something they felt they should aspire towards. So we've been studying it in agriculture and food for some time and actually measured it in some public trust research in both the U.S. and Canada in the last few years and found basically that's not a good attainable goal. So how does social license apply to the farm-to-table food supply chain? Well, the concept is, uh, can you have freedom to operate, grow, innovate, everything from the farm through to food processing, uh, right through to grocery and and restaurants, uh, with minimal restrictions? So while that's an admirable goal, when we actually measured it and studied it, we said the real goal should be public trust. What we really need to work towards is public trust in the food system. And the outcome of that may be social license, but social license on its own is is not the right goal for us. And you mentioned measurement. A, a lot of these items are intangibles. So how do you ensure that uh, your activities remain aligned with what sometimes may be fluid community expectations? Mm-hmm. Yeah, great question. Uh, We've been working with a a lot of researchers from across North America to help us learn how to measure these things. So for example, there is a peer-reviewed and published model on how to earn trust in food and how to measure it. Last this past year, we worked on a model on transparency. What are the seven elements of transparency and what does it take to to achieve it. So just like everything that's getting better at segmentation and measuring and data, we can do the same thing on the public trust side. But it is absolutely a new territory for us. And what kinds of expectations have driven consumer demand for transparency in farming and food? The expectation for transparency in food right now is for anybody to be able to pick up their phone at any minute and be able to ask or find the answer to any question on any ingredient on any food product that's on their plate. So the demand for transparency on the food system is unprecedented. We've never seen demand like this before. And what are the risks of falling short of those expectations? Do you have any anecdotal examples? Uh, absolutely. Whenever there's a lack of transparency or perceived lack of transparency, it's most obvious when something goes wrong. So I always view your investment in public trust should be like putting credits in the public trust bank, knowing that when you're dealing with food and mother nature and people and animals and equipment, something's going to go wrong at some time. So whenever something goes wrong, that's when the spotlight literally gets shone on your company or your sector or your product. And then the questions start coming about what is your uh, custody of command, what's in place to make sure that that didn't happen. So I look at our efforts and investment in transparency and public trust. We should be doing it proactively, but know it'll become acutely obvious and extreme cost to your business uh, when there's a problem if it's not there. Would you say it's it's a public relations issue, a communications issue, or even something bigger, uh, a movement? 
that's a, a great way to frame it is I used to view this as a communication, never a PR. I didn't think we could advertise our way to public trust, but definitely in my own mind, I've worked in this field a long time. I felt, you know, I worked in communications, I communicated with the public. And the last few years, it's definitely shifted that it's now a business risk that needs to be managed. And so it really needs to be viewed as more all-encompassing across the whole company, organization, and food system as a base business risk that needs to be managed, a base investment that everybody needs to make first, and then that allows you to do your work in innovation, efficiency, et cetera. I guess it's fair to say that public trust is something of the holy grail. Uh, What are the challenges to sustaining it? Well, it's absolutely something that needs to be earned every single day. So every, you know, every animal that's cared for, every food product that gets put through a food company, every item that's on your tray at the fast food restaurant, um, trust can be eroded at any of those spots along the food system. So it's our, our motto is we're helping the food system earn trust, and the verb earn is really important. It's not something that can, can be taken for granted. Do you have a specific strategy for sustaining, uh, actually for building public trust and then keeping it? Well, our our job is to help the food system earn trust by providing research, so understanding how to do it better, resources. Uh, we have a resource called Best Food Facts, which is an online resource center of experts that answer questions, and then forums for dialogue, bringing the food system together at places like this uh, to have the conversation about what we can do better together, B2B to start, and then moving to the consumer. But the next, so that's the base, I would say, for what it takes for a successful game plan, the next big play needs to be in the engaging with consumer space. And there's there's lots of great efforts with respect, lots of great efforts in that space. But I really feel when we look at our research on where the public trust is in our food system, there definitely needs some improvement. There have been significant, and that's an understatement, advances in agricultural technologies in recent years. Which developments impress you the most? Mm. Um, well, we learned a little bit about CRISPR this morning, and uh, you know, of course, I've I've heard a bit about it, but the explanation we were given here at one was was really excellent, and I definitely see uh, the most exciting uh, uses in technology there. And then the other area I would say is just in the ability to capture big data and and learn from it and try to aggregate it and learn best management practices right through to segmentation of consumers, which is what I do. Um, there's a lot of exciting things to be done there. I guess it could be said there's a data deluge out there right now. And consuming that information, making sense of it, is a challenge in and of itself, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Well, I I heard a stat a couple of weeks ago saying there's officially now more content being generated every second than human hours to consume it. (laughs) So our next challenge is not the volume of data, but to your point, how to synthesize it, gather the insights we need, and then put it to work. Uh, Among these recent advances in farm automation, data analysis we've just been talking about, and artificial intelligence, which of these things do you think uh, holds the real potential for addressing and even maybe solving big problems like food shortages? Well, if we think about something like food insecurity and then tie it back to things like food loss and waste, you know, if we think about what percentage of that good food that we grow ends up in the garbage somewhere, there's absolutely huge opportunities through data collection to figure out where all the food loss spots are and the distribution that's needed, which is absolutely key to get it to the people that need it most. So I think those big dots are out there. They just haven't been connected. 
So what risks presented by modern agriculture, the stuff we've just been talking about, concern you the most? Well, I think we need to look at it in balance, and there's definitely a shift in our society. Uh, you know, we've grown up in an age where progress is inevitable and embraced because that's just what makes everything bigger and faster and better. We're now getting a spot, at least in the developed world and here in North America, where progress is just possible but not inevitable, and that's definitely a shift. The other piece is the thinking that science can say if we can, it doesn't answer if we should. So this concept of making sure that we have um, sustainable practices that are ethically grounded first, then scientifically verified and economically viable. And I think in the agri-food space, we've definitely spent a lot of time on scientifically verified and economically viable and not enough time on the ethically grounded side. So the importance of um, having good engagement with the public and understanding concerns and the ethically grounded piece early on in technology, not waiting till the end just before you launch it. What are the issues that are driving large food companies to adopt new methods of production? Well, there's uh, obviously a complex topic in terms of what drives new methods of production. There's definitely global shifts in standards and requirements. So things like global sustainability requirements would be one example. So if um, global buyers and retail and food service are putting in global standards, we see that going through to food companies right back to the farm to say this is the expectations for food safety, for example. So the move to global standards, I would say, is absolutely a big driver. And then, of course, there's always the chase for the competitive advantage. So, you know, what can our company do to have a competitive advantage? And if we use the public trust space right now, we would see there's a lot of absence labeling? What can we take out of our product? We call it absence labeling marketing, right? GMO free, gluten free, mm. right? You know, mm -hmm. raised without something. It's absence labeling. So this would be kind of a reverse trend to the, the move to faster, bigger, better technology to move back to what would be considered older, natural, grandma's farm. You know, if my grandparents couldn't pronounce it, I don't want it on the label. It's actually a bit of a reverse trend. So we see a lot of companies uh, trying to get the competitive marketing advantage there. Is it realistic to look for coordination or collaboration among agricultural and food production competitors? And any examples of that? Yeah, well, our whole business model it relies on collaboration. So we are in um, we are in a new economy, a shared economy where people share cars and houses, and you know, and mm -hmm. um, different models that didn't exist even ten years ago. The challenges are. The value chains were developed for competition, not collaboration. So we're being asked to put values into the value chain when we've got fierce competitors across up and down the supply chains. Um, but our very model, the fact that Center for Food Integrity exists, we have individual farmers that, you know, produce all different types of uh, crops and animals and commodities. Then we've got food companies that are fierce competitors right through to retail and food service, all putting their money towards the same common vision. So I call that pre-competitive thinking and collaborative thinking. And it goes back to uh, your earlier question about the big, big pressure. No company is equipped to deal with the demands for transparency on their own. Every ingredient in every food product on every grocery shelf is huge. So it's a, a shift in thinking is going to be required to say, what can the food system do to meet that demand? Recognizing the individual company will still have to answer questions. Okay, shifting gears just a tad. Uh, if you could tell us about your organization's interest in the issues of food loss and waste. 
Yeah, absolutely. We just uh, started a new program I'm very excited about. It really demonstrates our organization's values around what it takes to earn trust, which is doing the right thing, then a trusted assurance system, and then communications. So food loss and waste has been identified as uh, a bit of an Achilles heel for the food system and a legitimate issue that needs some help and some improvement. So we just secured uh, some major funding together with a partner group called Provision Coalition through the Walmart Foundation to do exactly what I described, the three pillars of food loss and waste. So starting with 50 food companies, we'll sign up to do food loss and waste audits to do a very meaningful assessment on how they can reduce food loss and waste. And when we multiply that times 50 food companies, we expect some big numbers, some big results to say we put a we really put a big dent in food loss and waste. And then our piece is uh, we will be studying the public and a better understanding of consumers, which we understand the stats show uh, the consumers are a big piece in this food loss and waste equation, but we don't think the public has good awareness of it or the tools on how to actually reduce it. So we'll be studying the public piece. And then the third part is the communications. We'll be populating that resource I mentioned called Best Food Facts with university experts that will give public consumer information, consumer-friendly information about what you can do to better buy food, store food, use food to reduce food loss and waste in your own home. So I'm very excited about the program in that it's a very meaningful demonstration of how to earn trust with a meaningful program to reduce food loss and waste, some third-party auditors that'll be part of the process to ensure that it um, has integrity, as our name says, and then the communications aspect, understanding consumer concerns and giving them credible information to actually help them change their behavior. Speaking of information, it's your organization's goal to provide information without advocating for a particular brand. And I'm curious, how is your information structured so that you uh, avoid the perception that it's sponsored content? Oh, yeah. Great question. Credibility is so important in this space. I mean, Mm -hmm. if you don't have credibility, you might as well just light your money on fire and not bother to show up. So when we were bringing Center for Food Integrity to Canada and in the U.S. as well, spent a lot of time thinking about the model to be the most credible. So the first piece that's really important is the breadth of our funding is really broad. So we have, uh, you know, 36 member companies and associations, and we have about 200 funding partners, and we have about 800 individual donors. Donors. So people like you and I can chip in towards the same cause. So by nature, uh, you're not advocating for a specific outcome or profit or a specific company. We're very transparent about who funds us. So that's really important that, you know, you can look at our annual report, our website anytime. When it comes to the content piece, Best Food Facts, the resource I mentioned, it's all third-party experts only. So they're university experts, government experts, and independent dietitians that can answer anything about what's on your plate. So uh, the content has nothing to do with the funding. There's a very big divide there. Do you find yourself in a position of having to fight or combat this distrust and pessimism that is so prevalent in today's world? And, And if you do, what tools do you rely on to accomplish that? I encourage, I embrace skepticism, first mm-hmm. of all, because I think that's a good base. I encourage critical thinking. I think the the biggest tool I use is to embrace choice and to encourage that skepticism, to say thank you for being curious about your food. Thank you for asking questions. That means you care and you're interested, which is a lot easier than someone that's disinterested. Absolutely. Uh, I also think a big part of it is listening to people. This is a two-way conversation, not um, a lecture or a monologue. 
So part of our work in the research is to really try to understand the silent majority, what, what's really uh, concerning the public or what do they really have questions about. And I think Pete, that translates into more authentic communication. So it's absolutely not viewed as PR and advertising. It's, you know, we really want to understand your concerns and have a conversation. And it also includes acknowledging areas that need improvement to say, you know what, it's not all a sunny day with butterflies. There are things that aren't great. And, you know, we need to be part of that solution and acknowledge those things. Crystal Mackay is president of the Canadian Centre for Food Integrity. Thanks for being with us, Crystal. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Ag Future podcast presented by Alltech. For show notes and more episodes, visit alltech.com forward slash agfuture.